drum, 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 not many reasons to do what I've done here, this thing that you're about to listen to. I had an idea for something, an idea to lead people on with a loose story and some sound effects that would intentionally misdirect, rug pull, or let them down. The truth of the matter is that what you've heard leading up to this, four episodes of a comedy podcast about products that has a narrative thread about a supernatural threat, that little arc is over. It's done. This is not, will not, and never was going to be a part five where some revelation occurs or some type of satisfaction is reached. To be clear though, you were warned that no ending to this story will bring satisfaction and truth is no armor. I'd say that I hope you enjoy what happens next, but all I can hope is that you listen, understand what I feel, and get on with your life knowing that this type of thing could be part of the sort of origin story, if you will, of anyone that you meet. I've joked multiple times that lying is funny and fun to do, and I enjoy making up stories, but what you're about to listen to is my honest-to-God recollection of something that actually did happen to me about around 10 years ago now. This story is going to discuss mental illness, drug use, and other sensitive topics that stem from those. If that's not something you signed up for and want to leave, then I thank you for listening this far, at least. To those that are still here, this is the real story that I call Sleepwalker. Everything I'm about to tell you is entirely true, with the exception of one person's name. This person will be referred to as Jay. As I've said before in this podcast and many others on the network, I went to an art college in Chicago. I moved there from a small town in Michigan to live with a hometown friend that was also going to the same school. The school had many different disciplines, but the one that we were both in was that of the film course. One year, I returned to my apartment from spring break a couple of days before my roommate Jay did. I was catching up on YouTube subscriptions when he arrived. He came into the room I was in and immediately said that he had found God. This didn't really strike me as odd, aside from a sort of look on his face I'd not seen in him before and a weird glint in his eye. He was more or less agnostic up until this point, and we were in our early 20s, and to me, these sort of things, these shifts in personalities and preferences, are gonna happen, especially in art college. I asked him what he meant because I was genuinely interested at the time, and I asked what had happened to him to make him think this. He told me that while in Michigan recording music with his band, he and a fellow bandmate went to see a local band at a bar. Jay told me that while watching the bassist play, he heard himself being spoken to by the bassist with no words yet communicating to him, similar to how Danny Torrance perceives people talking to him in The Shining. Jay said that it dawned on him that vibrations and energy are all the world really is and that we're all just manifestations of concentrated vibrations and energy, that kind of vague new agey stuff. Jay was a pretty hyperactive guy, a casual drug user and such conversations and what ifs were commonplace with us. Usually we would talk about something like this and move on to something else or talk about a movie we'd seen recently, something. But 
He kept talking about vibrations and energy. He did not stop. He talked about willing things into reality no matter how insane or improbable. I assumed he was talking about some kind of like manifestation theory like the secret. Jay then went on to tell me his theory about how people are becoming angels by being so neutral to the world events and other people's lives. This is what took me from passively reacting in order to get him to move on to knowing something was actually wrong here. Jay had acute bipolar disorder and was off his medication of his own volition, not a doctor's. These are both things that I would not know until much later on. At this point, Jay had recently taken acid for the first time. I took care of him during that time, so to me, it seemed like he was potentially microdosing since then or had just been dosing normally. I have no way of proving this for sure, but it is my thought that the acid tipped the balance in him from high functioning to a danger to himself and others. Something changed in him after that night, and it would never even get close to being the same ever again. After more one-sided conversations with, or rather from, him, I decided I needed to go to bed. Before I did, I sent a text message to some mutual friends to see if Jay had been acting strange in their opinion. They said only slightly. This drove home the thought that it was just an off couple of days and things would even out soon. Mental health is weird and I typically don't bat an eye if someone is acting a little off a day or two. Unfortunately for everyone involved, this would be a multiple months long struggle. That Monday, I didn't see Jay until I got home from night classes at around 9.30 p.m. As I arrived, he looked up at me from what looked like scribbling in a small notebook and simply stated to me after chuckling that he was toying with the devil. I sheepishly laughed and went into my room and locked the door. I was not, nor do I expect anyone to be able to handle that type of thing. I exited my room once or twice to use the restroom uh, over the course of the evening, and I noticed his notebook as I was on my way to the restroom. It had words written over words written over words with drawings on the pages and scribbles and scratches and everything you can imagine. I never got too close of a look at it because as he heard me exit the restroom, he would exit his room to try and come to talk to me. The next day, Jay had class early in the morning, so I didn't see him until I came home from class later that day. I had recently been putting off doing the dishes, so I immediately started doing them once I got home, so I could be in my room by the time Jay got home. Things seemed normal as he got home for a few minutes until he silently exited his room and calmly gave me his notebook from before. He said that he was terrified, swearing up and down that he didn't write anything in the notebook, though he recognized it as his handwriting. I finally had the nerve to ask him if he had been okay lately in a way that is sort of akin to saying we need to talk. He answered in a matter of fact way that things have changed for him because he found out how to become Jesus. Then he got very excited as if he was opening up about something he'd been dying to tell somebody about. Jay started talking about his latest theories about human actions and reactions, vibrations, energy, and God. He asked me if I wanted to yell at him in a tone that communicated to me that he knew I would say yes. I replied that no, I didn't, which was the truth. He then, while being less than three feet away from me, started screaming at me, asking again if I wanted to scream at him. I replied that I still didn't, and I said I was trying hard to finish my chores so I could go to bed early because I had early classes. After that interaction, I knew I had to reach out to Jay's family. 
I managed to get at a couple members of his family whose contact info I had, and I sent them this exact message. Hello, I don't know if you've noticed anything about your son recently, but he's been acting concerning lately. I hate to cause you any sort of worry, but I myself am worried. He says he's found God and won't stop talking about vibrations and Jesus and angels and at the end of the world, and has been scribbling really strange things and drawings in a notebook that he showed me. He has completely changed from how I've known him all these years. I'm messaging you because I really think action is required here. He has been yelling and babbling, and I know that this isn't him. I don't know what's going on, but I really think that someone needs to come get him some help. This has gone on for a while, and it's concerning to me to the point where I lock my bedroom at night. I'm really sorry to put this all on you. I'm sure it comes as a surprise, but today he showed me his quote-unquote Bible and talked about how if people saw it, it would change the world or they'd want to kill him. I'm really worried about him. In my opinion, the best thing to do would be for somebody to get him and bring him home and take him to somewhere for evaluation or help. I'm really worried about him. I think something needs to be done soon and that somebody needs to show up to talk to him without him knowing in advance what's going on. He can't know that I said this to you until someone is here because I don't know how he will react. Please believe that this is the truth. Your son needs help. His dad called me almost immediately to discuss everything. He said that it was concerning, but he was sure that it was nothing major and that it would pass. I was frankly discouraged because although I tried, I couldn't make him believe how strange everything Jay had said was. I went to bed hoping that Jay would get better somehow or that his dad would see what had become of his son, though sleep didn't necessarily happen for me that night. I got up the next day and immediately started getting ready for school. Before I got to the restroom to shower, my roommate handed me his notebook and told me to read it all. I made up that I was running late for class and just brushed him off. I saw what that notebook had in it, and I'm positive that I wouldn't give him the answer that he was looking for. I took a quick shower and left for school two hours early so as to not be in the apartment with Jay any longer than I had to be. I left with three days worth of clothes in my backpack so that I could stay at a friend's house and not deal with the situation for a while. I was worried about my safety, and I have always been a believer in putting your own mask on first, so to speak. While out to dinner with a friend a day or so later, Jay's dad called me. By the tone in his voice, I knew something had happened and he now understood what I had been experiencing. He told me Jay started talking to him about the same things I mentioned and that it shocked him to his core the same way that it did me. He finished the call by saying that he was going to fly to Chicago first thing the next morning. Jay's dad arrived quite early and helped Jay pack some things. Before he left, Jay showed me his newest idea, which was that if you draw a spiral on any piece of paper at all, you'd intersect with only certain letters and that that would mean something significant. His dad had to essentially peel him away from me in order to get him into the rental car to drive back home to Michigan. It was only after Jay and his dad left that I found out that he had drawn on lots of things in the house. Unfortunately, this is the end of the lesser strange part of the story. Ten days of peace later, I hadn't heard anything from Jay's family. I was trying to finish the semester strong and make time for my partner at the time. I was trying to regain my normalcy after feeling so on edge in my own apartment. I hadn't even told my partner about it yet because I felt too close to the incident to have any perspective or a valid opinion on it. Amidst this recalibration, Jay's mom called me while I was in class and left me a voicemail telling me that Jay was apparently coming back to the apartment. A wave of dread crept over me and I immediately felt sick to my stomach.
The way that she said Jay was coming to Chicago told me that she was worried or that she didn't want him to leave or that he unexpectedly left or she wasn't sure that he was actually coming to Chicago. I came home to Jay immediately talking about medication and hospitals and how the government is listening to him with his phone. He said he thought he was meant to have a sexual relationship with Siri, but it ended up hurting him physically. Thankfully, he did not elaborate on this. He had gone into my room and made sure that my DSLR video camera was powered off and the batteries removed for fear that the government would know what he was onto. What had happened was Jay had been in the psych ward of the hospital in our hometown for about eight days. He was looking somewhat better to the specialist there and was released. That very night, he went out drinking heavily and all the progress was undone. Some of the friends that he went out drinking with were unaware of his condition, but unfortunately, at least one did, but didn't care enough to stop Jay from drinking. His medication, obviously, did not mix well with the alcohol, and it made him decide to come back to Chicago then and there, despite the advice of his family and friends. Before he left, his friends tried to get him to sober up by walking around a Walmart. He was eventually asked to leave for hitting on women. I did not want to be at the apartment to listen to him anymore, so I went to a friend's house to stay the night, though I didn't sleep even there. I came back to my apartment at around midnight the next day to him drawing on a sealed box, talking about how his friends need to have intercourse with his sisters and how he's Jesus, adding that I myself was Judas. At this point, I was severely worried that he was going to blame me for tattling or snitching to his parents that he needed help and i didn't know what he was going to do based on that thought he then started talking about how he needed to quote just fuck a single woman for 60 years and then rest and then went on about many 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 other things in a very short amount of time such as how he needed to travel that colors were just music and how he can disrupt people's thoughts by thinking of certain numbers his matrix as he called it jay had been drawing on a box that he got in the mail before opening it he told me he was afraid of what was in it I reminded him that he had ordered a bunch of Dr. Seuss books a while ago before his initial episode. He had ordered those to relive a little bit of childhood nostalgia and have a display of them on his shelf. I also said that the reason that it was in his room was I put everything that was mailed to him in his room for him before he got back from spring break in the first place. He did not remember ordering them and insisted he has no memory, but the memory of dead people clarifying, actually, Nathan, what I really need to do is watch Goodwill Hunting again. Right. My mistake. He opened it, saw the books, and started crying, then laughing unsettlingly hard. I told him, you need to go to bed. He said that that was a good idea because he hadn't slept in four days and barely eaten, which I had also not done. He went on to tell me that on his way to Chicago while driving, he stopped in a city along the way and gave a little book he wrote for his sister to a random man and said he trusted him to give it to her. Remember, he left from our hometown where his sister lived in the first place. He also said that he drove on the wrong side of the highway for a good portion of his trip to Chicago and made a point to mention multiple times that he was driving like a quote, mad drunk man. I said that he should probably go to bed, he agreed, 
and I closed and locked my door as he made his way to his bedroom. Jay's family seemed to think that he was mostly okay now and that they'd encourage him to drive home if things changed and got worse. The situation not changing was precisely the problem for me, but I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to call the cops. All I could do was hope that he made it clear to more people through his actions that he was unwell and needed more help on a more permanent and professional basis. Not five minutes after being in our separate bedrooms, as I was thinking of ways I could get him home safely and swiftly, I heard an enormous crash. He threw his nearly three-foot glass bong out the third floor window. At around five in the morning, I awoke to the sound of him walking around in the apartment. Our old building was solid, but the floors creaked and the walls were more thin than I would have liked. After pacing and mumbling to himself, I heard him sit on the couch on the other side of my bedroom wall and say, Nate. I said nothing because I didn't want to talk or make him think he should talk. I wanted him to go to bed. I wanted him to go away. I wanted it to all be over by any means necessary. He then said the most terrifying thing that anyone has ever said to me. He said, Nate, I honestly think you would be better off and safer in jail. At this point, I was justifiably crying, but managed to stay quiet enough for him to think I wasn't listening or was asleep. I was able to somewhat get back to a facsimile of sleep after he went back to his room, and about an hour later I was woken up by a new noise, this time a low rumbling noise. Now, the grocery store across the street from our apartment had a beer delivery about every other morning at around the same time. This typically woke me up whenever it would show up, so I assumed that the noise I heard was that truck. I attempted to go back to sleep for a few minutes before realizing that that same noise had become an even louder noise, and one that was clearly not coming from outside. It sounded like a plane was landing on top of my apartment or like a helicopter was in our kitchen. It was deeply unsettling. I couldn't tell from the noise alone what was going on, so I got up and left my room to see that Dr. Seuss box immediately at my front door, laden with notes to me in it and random things drawn all over the outside and inside of the box. A notebook addressed to me was on the coffee table. A pair of my shoes were neatly placed at the front door and another pair of my shoes near the back door. A pair of my socks were in the sink and the hot water was running full blast. Similarly, on full blast was Jay's mid-sized guitar amp with the delay pedal hooked up and set to the highest feedback setting. I turned this off immediately because this was clearly where the noise was coming from and I was able to regain a couple milliseconds of peace before noticing there was a note on the front door that said, Please literally talk to me instead of doing whatever it is you want to do. Matchmaking is for me only. Jay was nowhere to be found and I couldn't reach him at all. He came back about 25 minutes later. It was early, so it was still mostly dark outside. I told him that he couldn't do things like this to me and especially so early in the morning with the many families that lived in our apartment building needing rest for school and work. I told him he needed to go home and he needed to go home now. 
He said he couldn't talk right now or else he would die, but it's perfect that I told him that, and this was both of our fates that this would happen. I told Jay that he needed to call his family because they were worried about him. Jay said that he was going to walk to the Apple store, which was easily four miles away because his phone was dead and he had no charger, and then he left. That was the last day that Jay and I lived in the same apartment. He left and I went about my day. I didn't want to pretend things were normal, but staying at the apartment wasn't going to happen and all of my friends were in class and I didn't have the money to hang around restaurants or coffee shops all day. Later on, I got the text, depreciate it, from Jay. I would later hear that he ended up on the film set he was producing for his final project before he started bragging about his hospital stay hitting on women, and talking about his new views while drawing on things on set. One of the other producers on set drove him to his car since he was making a scene and told him, obviously, to not come back. Jay stopped home at our apartment, disposed of all the notes to me, as well as all of her soap and toiletries for some reason, got his things, and then left for our hometown. But that isn't where he went. After a day or so of no contact, his parents got worried and contacted the police. I had been staying with a friend until I knew for sure that Jay wasn't going to come back to the apartment. I had been in contact with Jay's mom about things at this point, but eventually I was told very briefly that they were going to go pick Jay up from somewhere that they would not disclose to me. I assumed that he was in police custody in some way, shape, or form due to finding him so soon after contacting the police. Otherwise, I didn't know how to explain how they knew with such accuracy and certainty where he was. Later, I learned that he most certainly was arrested. Jay showed up in Decatur, Illinois, a city that is three hours away from Chicago to the south. For reference, our hometown is about six hours northeast nearly the opposite direction. I don't know why he was driving in that direction, and neither did he, but I later learned that he was driving recklessly and blowing through stop signs in a residential area. He got asked to exit his car, apparently he was not complying with the officers, and was tased, beaten with batons, and taken in. I learned this due to him finding me and cornering me while I was in our hometown after the semester was over and his family had moved him and his things out of the apartment. Now, I'm not sure what part of his story was true and what part of it was him being a compulsive liar, something that he had a little bit of a reputation for previously, but I'm sure that he actually was at least arrested for reckless driving. His parents picked him up and later made their way home. To my knowledge, Jay never finished his degree at the school we both attended, and he moved back to our hometown to live with his parents for a time. A little over a year later, I had also moved back home after college. At previous times over the next year, we'd happened to be at the same place a couple of times before I avoided places he would be or knew that I would be at. He sought me out attempting to be friends again or something, but I had honestly been too traumatized to talk to him for a while and his insistence on seeing me exacerbated things for me mentally. He was not the same. When I had the misfortune of seeing him in public, Jay told me that he had court dates in Decatur regarding the incident. I have since blocked him on all social media. I stopped being friends with all of our mutual friends and I have since moved about 900 miles west. From the times I saw him before I moved, it was clear to me that he doesn't really remember 
what he did or that period of time very clearly. I have a hard time conjuring many strong negative emotions towards him. He's not fully at fault here. Though I wish he and anyone really would not deviate from your medication without a doctor's say so. Ultimately, the infrastructure to actually help Jay from the start does not really exist. In many ways, I feel bad for being the one to, from his perspective anyway, pull away for what he sees as little to no reason. I did tell mutual friends about the gist of this situation, which I believe they did tell him about later, though. He doesn't remember what happened, though I would hear later that he did those things to terrorize me and keep me from sleeping for days as a joke. He may not remember what happened, but I know. I've come to understand that what I was left with was PTSD. Sleep is a really strong pain point for me and has been for about 10 years. If I anticipate that I won't be able to get my desired amount of sleep, I become extremely irritable, worried, sad, and I'm given to intense panic attacks. I have a lot of baggage from this period in my life that was compounded by many other things that I'm not going into in this particular story, like terrible breakups and relationships, my father's alcoholism tearing my family apart, and all the while trying to maintain good grades and performance at my two jobs. In addition to my baggage, I do have proof that this did happen to me. Before Jay came to get his things and move out, I managed to hide away the Dr. Seuss box that he had written on. A link to pictures of this will be in the description of the podcast. I was apprehensive about telling this story at all, let alone in this venue or in this way to you. I don't mind letting people down by not following through with the story, I promise. This was always the plan, and Cam only really knew the fact that I was going to do something quote-unquote serious and a story from my life as the sort of rug-pull finale gotcha moment. It's weird. We like weird stuff. And I don't really have an outlet for this particular story or type of things, and I felt like I needed to get it out there in some tangible way and get it out there alone on mic. I was worried that I'd come across like I'm somehow making light of Jay's mental health or saying that I was the real victim here, but now, almost 10 years from experiencing these things, I still feel uncomfortable being in rooms that don't have locking doors. I still have panic attacks when I feel like my sleep is threatened. I still have dreams about that place, that time, that stress. If I'm staying somewhere that's not my house, I can't share the room with anyone. This is well and truly baked into who and what I am at this point. I'm much better than I was, to be sure. Time has passed. I have what I believe to be the most perspective on that time in my life that I can at this point. I have a psychologist and have antidepressants, and my sleep is less of a torturous time now. Things do eventually, sometimes, get better, give it enough time and effort. However, I don't think the events of this story are ever going to fully recede into the horizon of my rearview mirror. I've accepted this as part of me. I am already here. 
I have already seen, and I know, stories do not end. Thank you for listening. Because of the nature of this kind of surprise twist ending of this, you know, saga, I'm not going to do the normal Patreon shoutouts because I don't know that everybody is going to sign off on this. But if you do enjoy this and you are one of our patrons, I thank you so much for giving us the kind of venue and opportunity to do a weird thing like this. Additionally, I ask that if you are going to talk about this episode on social media, that you do not hint at what it's about at all. If anything, if you enjoyed this episode, just tweet at Victory Position Nice Hat. I do not want to necessarily spoil this for anybody that will get a kick out of it or some sort of catharsis or find just find the human story interesting. So. I don't want to have any sort of jokes like, oh, Nate was the hat man all along. Any, like, I don't, I, I'm not doing that. This is the final episode of anything that Some Good Shows is uploading this year. We are going to go on a break for January and we will come back with all four of our shows. And this one particularly will be back to normal afterwards. That's it. I don't have anything else to say. Thank you.